Welcome to the first episode of the She 2.0 2023 podcast. I don't know if you've heard of the book Menapocalypse, but I noticed it about a year ago. I would see it um, come up in my feed on social media, obviously, because I talk about menopause a lot. Um, I would see it in women's purses, sitting in coffee shops on a table with a coffee. And I thought, what the hell is this Menapocalypse? And why am I not part of it? So I Instagram stalked Amanda Thieb, who is the author and was lucky enough to meet up with Amanda and have a coffee and talk about the reason she wrote the book, which is based on her own personal experience with perimenopause in her early 40s. And as most women can relate to, it was a very confusing and lonely time for Amanda. Uh, Amanda is a fitness and women's health expert. She has nearly 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. Now she is an author of Menopocalypse, How I Learned to Thrive During Menopause and How You Can Too. And she's pretty much Canada's first menopause coach and educator. So Amanda joins me in this episode and we kind of cover it all. (laughs) We talk about the book. We talk about women's feelings during menopause, what it's like. She shares some interesting stories about Naomi Watts and her personal experience uh, and why she launched her amazing new brand, I Am Stripes. And we talk about some of the myths that Amanda dispels for for me and for you on weight gain and exercise and supplements and other things that are presented to us as we go through menopause as you know as an opportunity for us to find a more optimal healthy lifestyle. I think the one thing that Amanda and I could conclude from this episode is that Menopause is actually an opportunity to take our health into our hands and really course correct and use perimenopause as that runway so that when we hit the big one, the menopocalypse, we're ready for it. We're emotionally, physically, and mentally ready for it. So have a listen to Amanda Thieb. you and I have met in real person if anyone's like wondering like we're both in Toronto we went for coffee together yeah and many more things together I hope but Amanda um the reason I I think I stalked you on Instagram first um was because I mean your book Amanda as you like an author your book title jumps out at me every time the menopause or menopocalypse like it's such a perfect, it's such a perfect title and kind of how we feel about it, right? Like it's coming. We're in the 100% club. But I love the idea that um, you took the position of not just feeling defeated by menopause, but, you know, as you said, like thriving instead of just surviving it. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about Menopocalypse because it is such a great read. And I think it's, it should be on every woman's bedside table. Agreed. Okay, move on. <laughs> no, no, just joking. So you know what? When I actually picked the title "Man Apocalypse," I put a poll out into my Facebook group. I have a community there. There's about seventeen thousand women in it, and I put posts like, "Did you want it? Should I call it Menopausing So Hard, which is the name of the group, or should I call it Men Apocalypse?" People loved Men Apocalypse, but a few that left a comment about it were like. Yeah, but it sounds so defeatist and that's not what you're about. Like it sounds so negative and that's not what you're about. You're all about like reclaiming and like forging forward, et cetera, with positivity. And and I was just like, I know, but it just is such a good name. (laughs) Um, And then when I found a book publisher and I said I wanted to call it Menopausing So Hard because I ditched Menopocalypse, they were like, no, that's just not strong enough. And I went, well, I did have another one, but it sounds too negative. And they were like, no, it doesn't. It sounds real. And you can just talk about what it really means in the subline. And the subline is how I learned to thrive and how you can too. And so I was really happy with going with it in the end like there's always one or two people that will never like it or never really understand what you're talking about but when you dig into the book it's very clear my position and my stance on this right like I I very much feel like menopause has been swept under the rug for long enough you know we're all saying it It's, it's too much shame and stigma we're all saying it we're all making the difference in that that realm but there's also people out there that are 
talking about menopause as a deficiency, as a disease. And that also is problematic. Like the idea that we are not able to live a, a full and happy, fulfilling life post-menopause unless we have hormones is also not true as well. I mean, if you want to have them, have them good. I'm a huge proponent of them, but if you don't and can't have them, I'm fine with that too. And that's what the medical stance is. And my position is very much aligned with a medical consensus because why wouldn't it be, <laughs> right? Yeah, I agree. I I can't um, go on HRT, hormone replacement therapy. And I was really kind of um, disappointed when I found that out, but I do know from a lot of the research I've been doing, there are way other options. And, you know, like you can, you can thrive through menopause. And just back to the the title, like, yeah, it does sound like, you know, apocalyptic, but the reality is I'm kind of tired of, there's one of two voices around menopause right now. One is like super positive and no one's buying into that. And the other is super negative. And I think we need something more in the middle. Like, you know, we need to stop treating it. Like you said, when we become super, super over the top about it either way, it just, it makes it stigmatic. Um, I think we need to normalize it a little more. And I like the idea that menopocalypse does hit you hard when you read it, but then you realize, oh, it's like, you're actually talking about a positive way through. So based on that, um, just to kick off like more on your background, I was thinking about you last week because I have been gaining weight and I don't understand and I'm six years postmenopausal. So like this should have happened in, according to my uh, non-scientific calculations. This should have happened a long time ago. Why is it happening now? Um, my husband was sort of alluding to the fact that the leftover Smarties from Halloween could be an issue. But what I found out is when you put protein in your smoothie every morning and then you maybe clock 87 steps all day because you're sitting behind your laptop, you will gain weight. So yeah. I, <laughs> I've started doing these like seven minute sit workouts at home because I can I can get them in between meetings and calls and stuff and I'm sore after so it's it's really kind of good but um I think that you know between COVID and getting older we we can feel defeated pretty easily once we get tired once we start packing on the pounds we just sort of feel like oh but you have a really fresh approach to this you want to talk about it yeah, well, it's not that it's a fresh approach. It's just the, the basic facts as they stand, right? So, I mean, yes, like the stats are against us. A lot of women will put weight on through perimenopause and menopause, right? It's sort of a known thing. And the, and the overwhelming um, thing that you hear from women is that, but I'm not doing anything different. I'm doing everything the same. Yeah. And the thing is, there's no data out there to support that menopause makes you put on weight, right? And I'm, don't, don't jump down my neck until I finish explaining myself. And there's also, because I know everyone wants to, but like, hear me out. And then there's also robust data to do with our metabolism. It was done by Ponza et al. And they looked at um, a lifespan of human beings, including women in menopause on hormone therapy and not on hormone therapy. Our metabolism, metabolism doesn't change at all until around the age of 60 and then it only drops by about 0.7 percent so the idea that i hear people saying our metabolism slows down in menopause isn't accurate and isn't based in the current science as we know it and i'm telling you that this guy this is his life's work this is the research and it's accepted as scientific data so what does happen though? What, and, and it happened to me. And so when I was researching for the book, like one of my chapters is called, why am I so bloody fat, right? Like, cause it's like, what's going on? And, you know, I went through the same thing and not to the same extent as some people, but I put about 10 pound on, which is a lot for me when my weight's always been stable. And I was like, oh, it's menopause. Menopause has caused it. When I started digging in and I was like, well, there's no data to validate that menopause does cause weight gain, but stuff so different for me I don't feel like the person I was before and so you know what I did is I sat down and had a really hard conversation with myself and thought am I doing everything I used to do and I was like well actually I'm depressed so I don't feel motivated to to work out and move as much as I did before not even just exercise but move 
right? Um, I was um, sometimes so chronically fatigued with menopause, which is a very common symptom that my, I would do 72 steps as well a day. Like, and it was like, and this is someone who used to run 10K every third day, right? So my activity definitely reduced significantly. I wasn't focused on the foods I was eating because it was just a too hard, a tangible thing to do yeah. in the headspace I was in. It was like, I just want to, and, and I also got quite a lot of like IG, um, IBS type stuff, you know, gut in issues through menopause and nausea. And so I just didn't want to eat like a whole load of vegetables. I just want to eat white bread and crisps and chips. Yes. And so, and so when I sat down and was like, and what else? Well, I'm not sleeping so well. Sleep is intrinsically linked to um, waking up with a high level of cortisol, high levels of cortisol, uh, intrinsically linked to overeating. And, and, and that's sort of like, it's like this perpetual thing that happens and happens and happens. High cortisol doesn't mean you're going to get fat because sometimes with high cortisol, people don't eat, right? It means that some people can like binge eat, you know, because of the, the state of their body. We also see that because of the declining estrogen, our fat distribution changed significantly. And we start to hold um, fat more in our waist than we do in our hips and our legs just because of the, the change in sort of landscape. The changing hormones also impact our hunger hormones. So ghrelin and leptin are two very specific hormones that are, amongst others, that are um, part of what tells us when to eat and when to stop eating. Ghrelin, I always say, you can remember it by saying gremlin. It's like the gremlin in your tummy that goes, eat me, I want to eat. <laughs> and so when you, when I ghrelin starts yeah, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of menopausal women will say, I'm always hungry and never satisfied, right? Well, we know that there's a disconnect between our hunger hormones during like the menopausal years. And so, and leptin is produced in our fat cells and sends a signal to our brain to say, you've eaten enough, you're satisfied. And so when they're out of whack, we overeat, right? And honestly, I know people don't like calories in, calories out, but that's not even debatable because it's nutrition science. Nutrition science is based on the laws of thermodynamics, which is energy in and energy out. Right. And so if you have less energy going in and going out, you're in a deficit. So you, you're going to lose weight. And if you have more energy going in than you use, it's going to get stored in the body. And calories are simply a measure. They're a unit, like a centimeter, like a mile, like a kilometer. They're a, a unit of measure, albeit a not completely accurate measure. But when we talk about calories in, calories out, we're saying energy in and energy out. That's what we're really saying. And so having these hard conversations is sort of um, really important with ourselves because then when we're real about things, we can go, okay, okay, what can I do now to take control of my health? And like you did, you were like, okay, I'm looking for protein because I know that's important for so many reasons and we can talk about that, but I'm not very active at the moment. Maybe I need to be looking at my activity levels, right? Yes. And how can I start doing that in a small, manageable way that I can maintain? And that would be your seven minutes a day, right? Like to start with, because inevitably that's going to get more and more and more, the more consistently you do it. Yeah. And and also too, because I've been doing this seven minute workout for a week, so I can't really claim much success, but I have noticed um the calorie in calorie out. So I, you know, I checked out how much, how many calories were in my protein um, and the rest of my smoothie and like looked at what I was doing during the day. And really my footprint was me at my desk. And, you know, it really is no coincidence that it all coincided with like a really heavy month of work. <laughs> and, and, uh, and just kind of letting it go because I just had to focus on work. Like I had to get through it, yeah. get it done. I, I have terrible concentration as it is. Um, being on a computer is probably the worst thing for me because an email will pop up and grab my attention. A leaf will fall, whatever. And but the day goes by and we're busy and we've got a lot yeah. of things to juggle and I understand it. And so that's why I'm a big proponent of behavioral change and behavioral change isn't 
joining a CrossFit gym or F45 and going six days a week and then living on salads. They're extremes and extremes aren't yeah. sustainable. And so when we're talking about menopause, health and wellness and weight gain and all of those things, we need to be looking down the path of like, we're menopausal now for the rest of our lives, right? So what are the habits that we can start integrating into our lives that actually add positive benefits to our health outcomes, right? And so you're not going to do them if you're going to push too far, too fast, too hard, well, there's the theory around dieting that I don't even think it's a theory. I think it's more of a fact. But, you know, if, if you go on a diet and then you screw up, you kind of reset to zero. Like you don't keep going. You In your mind, you failed. And then you might just binge and give up the whole thing. I think, you know, having that steady, healthy lifestyle with a few cheats here and there is way more sustainable. But I also think, you know, it is easy to lie, like fall back on the excuse that menopause is making me gain weight and leave it at that. Like this, this is menopause, nothing I can do about it. But the accountability really is critical. And, you know, the weight gain contributes, as you've said, like to the fatigue and to that, just like that general lethargy that we tend to feel. Um, I've noticed since I started doing, I do like two seven minute workouts. Um, I've already noticed my energy levels are getting better. Um, it's likely your endorphins, right? It's yeah. likely more than really your energy levels. You're just feeling good after doing it, right? Yeah, you do. And I think that just um, chiming into what you've just said then, as women, we're always so frigging hard on ourselves, right? And so we get tired. We don't do as much we have periods where, you know, we're not as productive, you know, and, and then we have other moments where we get a lot done and it's like, oh my goodness, uh, like you seize the day, but on those moments where we're not as productive or as doing as much as we possibly want, we, we immediately place blame on ourselves. We immediately place blame on ourselves when we put weight on. We immediately place um, shame on ourselves when we, we try a medication that doesn't work. It's like another failure. Perimenopause, feels like a failure it's all of these things that we really put on ourselves and I think one of the biggest things that women can do as far as taking control of their health is actually to stop doing that straight away and then go have the conversation with themselves that literally says I have to go through menopause we're not stopping this happening this is meant to happen so what are the things I can do to support myself through it instead of fighting against like raging against the menopause machine how can I work with my changing body there's some things that are going to happen outside of my control because your body's smarter than you and it's meant to happen but like what are the small things I can do every day that are going to support my health and although these things might not feel like they're working in the moment we know that the impact of doing these small changes compounds over time and are some of the driving forces to improving our overall health outcomes as we age. The thing too is, you know, we talked about, you know, perimenopause and viewing it as a failure, which it isn't, it's, it's a phase. But um, I see, like, I think we're all getting our heads around menopause now, thanks to the great work that you're doing, like celebrities like Naomi Watts, Brooke Shields, Michelle Obama, uh, the great CBC piece that just ran uh, about there's the there's a whole grassroots movement of us. We all have got our like little yeah. place in it. It's great. It's great because the more people talking about it, the more we realize we aren't alone. And and I think women generally feel alone during menopause, but hopefully not so much. But perimenopause remains this really confusing area. It is like the come here, go away thing. Like, here's my period. No, it's gone. Am I pregnant? No, I'm not. Because I forgot, I haven't had sex, and I can't find my glasses. So, oh my god, how many times have you forgotten? I've not had sex. <laughs> I, I just, times? just oh my god. a million. Like, <laughs> I, just, I just did a YouTube yesterday, and I was talking about vaginal health, vulva health, and I was talking about lube, and I talked about five different things, and one of them was lubricant, and I was like, and here's a lubricant that I haven't tried because I haven't had sex in like five months. <laughs> But I'm sure it's fine. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I did. Uh, I had a great episode with uh, Nicole Schroeder. Um, she's a sex expert, um, psychologist, working at one of the local hospitals, and it was such a good podcast. She almost made me cry because she talked about libido, and you know, I think like we all expect that if you look at your husband and you're not feeling it, it's not there. 
And we start to blame ourselves for that. I know I do. And she said, no, like libido is like everything. You have to work at it. Like it doesn't just come. You have to like build up your libido, like, like it's a muscle. And I, I really liked that because it gave me hope. And I think it gave my husband hope. I'm not there yet. Like right now we're. Also, yeah, I mean, it's all a work in progress, let's face it. But I mean, I, the what I was going to say, sorry for interrupting, was that like, I think speaking to somebody like that, an expert like that makes you realize it's not just physical. Yes. Psychosocial as well. It it's is. so important. It's everything. Well, honestly, like when my husband is walking around the house and things are being left here and the kitchen's a mess for me or I go out and come back and it's still a mess, like that's the foreplay I need. Show me that. you care I love helping using those somebody videos else going around of men emptying the dishwasher and putting the pots away and it's like yes yeah exactly the mom porn right seeing a, a dude carrying a baby and putting dishes in the dishwasher that's mom porn for a reason but you know the joke right now is you know, my husband will approach the topic of sex and I'm like it's not a leap year honey like That's when we do it, birthdays and leap year. So I want to get back to like once monthly even. But, you know, vaginal dryness is a huge thing. It causes a lot of pain and I have some atrophy. So we're, we're really not having sex because I am so scared it's going to hurt. And he is so turned off by the thought that he's hurting me. So like it's, it's such a catch-22. But at least there's treatment options out there now. At least there's, yeah. I mean, this is what I spoke about when I was doing my sort of video because a lot of women don't seek help and really struggle. And that makes me really incredibly sad because it's something that they feel almost a grief over when they don't feel Yes. that sexual side of it. But for me, it becomes like, I think the work starts outside of that. When you start watching TV, you can hold hands or when you go outside, you Like you can hold Yes. hands walking down the street or have a hug or go out for date night and just talk to each other and actually connect again, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to let that go. You know, when I think about my 20s and 30s, when I um, like traveled around a little bit, I was never quite settled, um, partied a lot with my friends, like ate garbage and I could burn it off because I was so physically active all the time. But I mean, now I'm in postmenopause. but when you think about perimenopause, like I think of it as the runway and the opportunity to course correct, you're actually setting yourself up probably for a healthier lifestyle than you've ever had because you have to look after your heart now. I hope everybody gets their cholesterol checked. Um, you have to look after like the food that you're eating because it will stick around this time. Um, you know, your gut health is super important and I never paid attention to that. Like everything that I'm learning about menopause is actually just learning how to be a much healthier person than I ever Yeah. was. So it's actually an opportunity. Yeah. I, I, that's a re that's a really great point. It is an opportunity, and the reason it's a great opportunity is because not a whole lot changes as far as our dietary needs in menopause. It's just that we should have always been doing this. We should have always been looking for adequate fiber to, you know, help with our gut microbiome. It's literally sets the the foundation for like good, healthy um, microbiome to grow. So at least 25 grams of fiber. Most people don't do that. Most people don't eat enough protein. It's really not something that women like to eat a lot of the time, The Right. Eat within your calorie needs, your energy needs, if we want to talk about it that way. Eat a well-balanced, plant-forward diet that has grains in it because carbs aren't evil. Grains and rice and potatoes, even white ones, because guess what? They're not evil either. And, and then we can
tea with agave or honey, it's still sugar. The body doesn't go, oh, you're so virtuous because you've replaced me with honey. <laughs> it's still glucose. You know, the body just uses it. And it's got a place in our body, right? Um, glucose is our preferred energy source in our body. Um, but obviously overeating, like things like sugar, overeating too much fats and salts, of course, that's not going to be good for our health. So we have to just look at moderation and so moderate, even moderation and moderation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's also the mindset change, like you said, like I, I think that it, there should be a more positive outlook that you are having the opportunity now to just do like a body scan. Because when I was in my 20s and 30s, I never had a mammogram. I never thought to even check my cholesterol and I'm sure my doctor didn't either because I was very active. Why would we do that? But women are getting breast cancer earlier now. Pap smears are spread out over three years. That doesn't give you any hope of catching cervical or ovarian cancer before it's a problem now. So now that you know we've we've hit perimenopause and menopause, we are being told you have to advocate for your own health. And that's really good because now I know what my heart condition is. Like I have a, a heart condition, like a familial one. I didn't know that. I've, I've been through tons of blood work and it never got caught. But that means to me, I have the um, peace of mind that I'm not gonna jog down the street and drop dead of a heart attack and no one's gonna know why. And it's sort of like now I, I am being proactive and I can see where the red flags are because I've had to do a deep dive into my health and because, you know, my body, um, what you said is smarter than me, uh, is saying to me like when I'm tired or when I'm gaining weight or yeah, something's off, you got to fix it. And it ne that never happened to me before. And I, I bet that didn't happen to a lot of women. No, not at all. And I mean, I mean, I my story is a great example of that. And I don't need to keep going over and over it. But perimenopause, like you, was a huge surprise to me. And I've been in the health and wellness industry for 30 years and didn't know what this is 10 years ago now, but I had no idea what was going on, which is why I'm sort of beating the drum on this one, because it was a it was menopocalypse for me. It was horrible. But then, you know, there was things I could do and that are evidence-based that I was able to share with other people. And none of this is a surprise. This is everywhere on every menopause site. I just put it all in one book. Like I'm not saying I've cracked the code or anything, but <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying that, hey, this is your best mate's guide to understanding what's going on. Um, but you know, it just made me that going through that whole thing made me truly realize that, you know, one, there's light at the end of the tunnel. For sure, like the, the the tumultuous time of perimenopause definitely does start to ease off as we go through into postmenopause. Statistically, we see that. Um, but also the fact that, you know, where vanity may have played a role in like exercise and nutrition before, it shifts completely. And I know that like now, like I'm just eating to fuel myself. Like I I can't be hungry. It's like literally the worst thing ever. And a lot of menopausal women really struggle with feeling hungry. It gives them low energy availability and it doesn't feel good at all. And so mm -hmm. if you if you can eat more intelligently, like make sure you've got your protein to keep you satisfied and load up on all your veggies and add some grains and stuff to it with some fruit and some fats always in there. Fats always in there. You don't need to talk about fat, but like maybe watch out for your too much saturated fat. Like that will keep you satiated throughout the day. Your energy availability will be so much better. And then you can start to like do things like exercise without feeling utterly exhausted. You'll be able to manage your stresses because the exercise helps sort of help with that and et cetera, et cetera. It's all like cascades, doesn't it? Um, but I think the, the focus on the health for me now is um, actually a game changer because it sort of takes the, the pressure away from how we look. Yeah. as well right yes. and usually it usually is a byproduct of taking control of your health body composition changes that's yeah. what we see mm -hmm. and actually that's a really good point like in my and i i think i speak on behalf of probably quite a few women we are we do focus a lot on how we look but there's this message out there that that's how we are being judged how we how we look you know more attractive people get better jobs, you know, all these studies we read and and they just... Well, I think that's sort of true, isn't it? They're the type I of think like... So. The, yeah. yeah, that's the type of thing we need to smash down, right? 
so many things we need to smash down here, but I think it starts with not giving a shit about it first and then being able to say, no, this isn't where your area of focus should be now. Like, you know, we're in our fifties. We should be like enjoying ourselves, whipping off our bra and feeling good about just chilling and relaxing and not going at a high speed pace all the time. You know, like the, the world has changed since COVID, but it's also changed because of menopause. Like it changes who we are sometimes and in a good way. Yeah. Like I, I do I mean, think I care less about how I look. My husband would probably agree when I go to Loblaws in Joe Fresh track pants all the time. <laughs> that wasn't well, me earlier. <laughs> I know, but there's like it's something refreshing about that age that comes with it. And I also think that women sort of do still want to look nice, but you should be like doing it for yourself and for nobody else and to meet yeah. anyone's particular standards. It's sort of like the you do you type thing. Um but yeah, like I think just um just the whole like mindset shift, like for me, it was just like I don't have the energy to take on everybody else's crap all the time. And yeah. so I write about in my book about how when we lose estrogen and progesterone, the oxytocin hormone, which is our love hormone, also starts to decline. And it's sort of the hormone that rages in us in our 20s and 30s that makes us always want to be caring for everybody else around us. And there's something called the we to me phenomena. And the we to me phenomena is simply changing your focus from everybody else around you to start looking after yourself. And it doesn't become any more clearer than that in menopause. Because if you're not looking after yourself, everybody else is going to suffer anyway. Yeah. But it's just a time for you to, to just stop and pause and go, what is it I actually need right now? I mean, what's the best course of action for me today to make it feel like it's somewhat successful, right? And so I, I love the idea that women don't feel guilty about taking the time to make sure that they, they're okay. Yep. And now we're seeing, which is, I find this slightly disappointing, but now we're seeing tons of brands come to market to tackle the menopause demographic because they see money in it. Whereas there are great brands out there who have made menopause their mission or they menopause is the reason they, they started. Like um, there's Femme Pharma, there's Stripes, I Am Stripes. Like they created products because of their own personal experiences and wanting to make things better for women where you get pre-established brands who are now just trying to like slap on some key messaging to go after women in this audience, you know, playing on their fears of feeling old, looking old, feeling invisible. That's where I find, I think, I think the landscape's going to become pretty confusing for a while for women because we've been overlooked and ignored for so long. And now all of a sudden, like everyone's hyper-focused on us and they've got a product or a service or a program or a plan or a workout that's going to fix us with a pill. And it's really interesting because, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry um, and for sure people are bandwagoning on it. And how do you how do you become disconcerning when it when you see these things? How do you know? And, you know, you've no idea how many messages I get every day, Jackie, from people going, is this genuine? Is this genuine? Is this a red flag? My, my gut tells me. My first thing is, like, if your gut tells you, if your gut tells you that women's instincts are so good, like, go with it. Like, it usually yeah. is a red flag. But here's the thing, like, so for example, the other day, someone asked me about having enough protein. Was I okay with people having protein powder? Not that anyone needs my permission. And I just was like, yeah, it's a great supplement if you can't get it from a food source. Like, I have to have it because it's the only way I can get enough protein in. And she's like, oh, great, because I found this one. And she sent me it and it said menopause um, protein powder. And I just was like, I don't understand why you need a menopause protein powder and so she asked me if this menopause protein was what she should be taking and I just said no I don't need to take a menopause protein because what's so different about the the one you get in Walmart that's like a, less of a price and you know like you could you're saving yourself 30 40 dollars a tub just by not buying so when they put a premium on a regular product it's mm -hmm. almost like the pink tax isn't it I was just gonna say that except yeah. it's hidden now Right. right. Like and then, they're just slapping and, menopause on it. Right. And so it's like, I don't have a problem with brands as long as the brand is 
authentic but then how do you decide if it is or isn't honestly you know I get in my own way about things like this because I'm just like I don't know like I worked with companies that do wick free clothing which is helpful when you're sleeping at night and you don't want to wake up drenched you know I've worked with um sexual health companies that promote vibrators they're not particularly menopause vibrators but just yeah. talking about vaginal health I'm okay yeah. doing that and so so like and the stripes thing as you know I've done some stuff with that it took me eight months to even speak to Naomi Watts can you imagine Naomi Watts reaching out to you going nee I don't think I want to talk to you <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'm think. sure she gets uh quite a few emails <laughs> Right. And actually, it's usually she told me it's usually the opposite for her. People are always on the take from her. But she Mm. reached out to me and said, can I tell you my story? And she literally had a genuine story. That was that she went into menopause age 38 when she was trying to get children um, get get children. We get children apparently. <laughs> We're trying trying to have children. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't know how that happened. I haven't probed into that. But then and she felt isolated and alone and really struggled. Now, somebody like that on, at the age of 38 needs to be on hormone therapy because our bodies actually require it until the age of menopause. And so she was left like stumbling around and isolated. And so she decided that she wanted to create a community, invest money into menopause research. And she uh, she and she realized that as an actress, her skin had changed. And it was she has her brand is dry from scalp to vag. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's worked with the this uh, scientific company called Amaris to create really hydrating skin products. And I don't feel problem with that because my skin is like a gecko's at the moment, right? You know? <laughs> my, it keeps falling mine off is and... too, and it makes your wrinkles worse. And I don't yeah. want to go and do any surgery, but I do want, I do want, well, I, I love the look of her products i they're not available in canada yet but when they get here but her story is um it's sad but it's genuine it's genuine and it's not uncommon so going back to the brands though like i do not need companies contacting me every day going i've got a a glucose monitor that you need to insert in your arm because you're menopausal i have menopause supplements that are proprietary blended specifically for menopause it goes on and on and on the other day I did an uh, Instagram post about a company that does online hormones compounded hormones online without seeing a doctor asking me to push push them for commission like it's literally the wild west out there and so all all I would just say to women is that if you really want to try something instead of just pressing the the hit button because you've seen your celebrity friend pushing vegan collagen or whatever just take a pause and just go does this really work ask the questions just say where's the proof even if you can't read scientific data just say i need you to explain to me how this works and why you're different Mm -hmm. from anyone else but if they're coming up with a solution to a problem that doesn't exist and then create a problem that exists, then that's a red flag for me. And this is, um, I could do a, well, I did do a whole episode on this, but (laughs) uh, I spoke with someone in the US um, last year and he talked about the fact that in the US, every woman is worth $70,000 to the, um, I don't know what you would call the market, but like basically diapers to pads, like from pads to from diapers to pads and back to diapers. Female health market, I suppose, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and like the reason that we don't see in North America a big push to help women with pelvic floor therapy or to make create a lot of awareness around it or to tell women that peeing your pants is common but it is not normal is because then they lose that market. They lose $70,000 per woman. Like that's a huge loss to the market and it's it's a money industry like everything else. But, you know, when I, I think about like Naomi's story, I had a woman, Mallory McGrath on, who was 29 when she went through POI. And even at um, 37, 38, no one is talking about menopause. So if you're going through it, you don't have a community of people to talk to. So you're alone and, and they're, that's not where their heads are at. So it can be a super alienating time and then you wonder why depression you know can be so strong in in women with menopause 
I know, I know. It's exactly that, right? Being isolated and not being able to share the burden as well. That's why communities really help. That's why women yeah. talking to women really help. I have a book that two doctors in the UK wrote who I absolutely adore called Dr. Hannah Short and Mandy Leonhardt. And it's called The Complete Guide to POI and Early Menopause. And it's talked specifically about the issues that women will face and treatment options available, diet, exercise, lifestyle. They're very um, big on the 360 picture. And so I have that in my resources list on my website, um, but it's definitely a book I would recommend for those specific women. Amazing. I will include the link to that in the um, in the newsletter. That's awesome. Um, that's a great resource. You've got great resources on your site as well. Um, what is particularly interesting is um, before you and I first chatted, I had heard about this pocketbook um, for menopause. And then when you and I chatted, you mentioned it again, and you you listed it as a resource. And it's free. It's PDF. You download it. It's Bob's your uncle. Like, I've already gone through most of it. And that is available to all healthcare practitioners, practitioners across Canada. And yet, even recently, I had someone go into her doctor and be dismissed because of menopause symptoms, being told nothing you can do about it. And this book is out there, like it's free for them to read and, and they could be, you know, just grazing through it and pulling out some points to at least help guide us in the right direction. And yeah. I still feel like even though we have, you know, a lot more coverage on menopause, menopause is in the news we still have like a lack of support from healthcare. And I, th I think like my own doctor in particular, she's really getting herself up to speed on it. I mean, it's not, you know, it's technically because it's not a disease, it's not where they are focused on training, but you know, I, she does realize I go in there all the time with questions about menopause and drive her crazy. Um, but I do feel like now that we are educating ourselves, we need to know that there's resources and we can go through those resources and see what works for us. And, you know, maybe something's, HRT is not for everyone. It is absolutely frightening um, to hear the story you just said, but also I've seen it on, I think, Instagram where a company is just, you basically mail order your HRT soon. Um, if I had done that and this heart condition hadn't have been flagged, I could have had a cardiac incident. Yeah, it's scary. Um, like never take, take hormones without a consultation. No. It doesn't make sense. And that menopause guide, it's um produced by the Canadian Menopause Society. I actually am friends with one of the authors. And now the Canadian Menopause Society is a non-for-profit. You know, it's hard for them to get the word out there. I mean, they really want training for GPs and OBGYNs, and, and wow. they're trying to do that. North American Menopause Society have training for GPs and OBGYNs too. Um, and it's not even a long course to do. It's like a weekend course for them. But the, that pocket guide is a prescription guide for healthcare providers but obviously as a as a patient you can download it too and what I recommend for women going to their doctor knowing that it might be a difficult conversation is print off this guide it's really easy to read highlight mm -hmm. the bits that, that actually refer to to you speak to your doctor about it and go in there with um the problem is is when we go in to see our doctor and we don't always know what to talk about we might just focus on one symptom like i'm depressed so they'll give us antidepressants or whatever yeah and so keep a, a record of what your symptoms are over a few month period and then go in with two or three symptoms and just go i'm 45 or over because then you don't need any sort of testing i'm 45 or over I'm struggling with three or four symptoms. This is the um, guidelines from the Canadian Menopause Society. I want these. Like actually tell them what you want. And I've done that personally and when the doctor didn't know. And he was re really responsive to it because they don't know what they don't know. It's not yeah. always that they're get, you're getting gaslighted. It's often because there's no training for this. And so because there's no mm -hmm. training for this, they usually are open to having the conversation and if they're not then ask for a referral right yeah. it's not i it's not ideal but that's the work that i'm doing with the company naya we're trying to come up with a complete um healthcare solution for women that's currently like for example the mount sinai menopause clinic run yeah. by dr wendy wolfman has got a two-year waiting list i know so we're, tra we're trying to gather a resource of menopause qualified 
GPs or specialists that you can access virtually. And so we're in the process of building that along with access to strength training programs and, you know, nutritional advice and educational advice and healthcare assessments. It's a big chunk of work. Yeah. But then the other the other side of it is um the Menopause Foundation of Canada is yes. also another another non-for-profit. Just two women who left their job because of menopause want to change the conversation. And they're an advocacy group only. Mm-hmm. And they want menopause training to be given to GPs, right? So there's people yeah. doing the work on the ground, but these things take time, right? They do. Um, Trish and Janet, who started the Menopause Foundation of Canada, they're wonderful. They are a wealth of resource. And... Um, we've had discussions too, where I'm like, you know, there's treatments out there, but they're so unaffordable. They're not covered by insurance or OHIP. This is such BS. Like, you know, I went in for a mammogram the other day and I said to her, you can be damn sure if you were doing a check for scrotum cancer, this would not be the procedure that you would use on a man squishing him and like making him stand on weird angles. Like... It's only because it's our boobs, right? <laughs> we get overlooked all the time. But uh, yeah, yeah. But if you ever need any help on that, let me know. I am. I would love to see more and more of this. And, you know, there are great menopause practitioners out there um, who some are aligned with pharmacies, but their recommendations aren't always pharmaceutical. Um, and there are menopause doulas, uh, which I learned too, who are great and, and just sort of guide women through like what you, where to look, what to do. Um, there are plenty of resources, but they need more light shone on them. Yeah, for sure. So you yeah, have a busy it's a, it's year a, ahead. It's a work, it's a work in progress. I it do. Yeah. I do. Well, and you also consult with companies, um, to talk about menopause in the workplace. It's been an evolution. I think since. I've been talking about this for say five or six years and then I wrote the book. The book definitely gave me that sort of clout credential. Mm-hmm. And um, I sort of got to the point where this conversation can be exhausting and a little bit draining, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point about two years ago where I was like, I have to like shit or get off the pot, essentially. Like I need to make a decision about what I'm doing with this because it would it was all advocacy stuff I'd done. It was tiring and I was doing all for free and I was taking on the burden of all of these women. And I still answer every single email I get. Like I don't ignore people because I know what it feels like to be ignored. Um, and then I got the opportunity to start doing some speaking and it just felt like the right fit for me because one, I like to talk. Two, I feel like I can talk about this in a in a really yeah. reasonable way and offer advice and support that's not controversial and it's been so well received and so that's now snowballed and it's become you know very very um it's topical now isn't it in Canada so I've got like I'm actually flying to St John's in February for three talks there in-person talks which is amazing I'm doing a documentary on menopause which is exciting but that might take about a year to happen yeah um just I'm being involved in some research to do with menopause as well so there's lots happening and I'm super happy to be you know part of it and um, just want really to help women so they don't feel so alone same as you yeah I love what you're doing and you know if you ever need help I'm happy to jump in yes Um, thank you Jackie of course I had a business coach tell me on my business plan that I didn't identify any competitors in the space when I was doing a business plan for she 2.0 and I said I'm sorry, and I know I'm not making a lot of money, so you might not, you know, value my my wisdom here. But the more women um, shining light on this topic, like podcasts, brands, um, documentaries, they're not my competitors. They are opening up the landscape so that women feel comfortable. And then if brands have something to offer them, those women are more receptive because they're not hiding it. They're not denying it. So, you know, so I don't have competitors on my business plan. I have collaborators. Yeah, for sure. How wrong could you be? I mean, really? Yeah. How wrong could you be? It's just not like that at all. I mean, it's really amazing the people I've met, like you and the Menopause Foundation and all of the doctors and everyone I've collaborated with and the grassroots, like, advocates out there. Mm-hmm. I could just like I have like when I do like my podcast I have such a massive list of people that I want to talk to it's not always about menopause but really things that are relevant to midlife women 
Yes. It's just so nice that it's like we all realize we've got a pleasant place in this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. My big goal this year is working with some photographers to create um, sort of a stock photo library of real women in menopause, because if I see one more woman who's probably in her 70s with her head in her hands and she just looks so distressed and distraught and upset, and that's what you get when you Google women in menopause. And yet, you know, I look around me at you and other women who are menopausal and, you know, this is not the Golden Girls anymore. This is the JLo's and the Jennifer Aniston's and the Naomi Watts. These are menopausal women and they do not look like that. So we have to change that. And, and woe is me, that's gone. Like you and I said, this is a time to optimize and this is a time to start being more positive about things. So two years ago for World Menopause Day, I did a campaign called All the Shapes and Beauty of Menopause. And I emailed everybody on my newsletter and on my social media and said, are you sick of not being represented? Please send me photographs of yourself um, doing something active. It didn't have to be fitness, but just doing something yeah. active feeling vibrant and I had 600 photographs sent in and I pulled together a video of them Amazing. And, and whenever I feel like a bit flat I watch it it was on CBC they picked it up it's like that's so great 600 women and I only talked about it twice they just were desperate to be seen um I would love to see a campaign like that because yes yeah Anyway, I can get you in touch with all of those 600 women. Maybe they'd like to have their photograph. Like I would love to be in touch with them. I, I want women who are not afraid to say, this is my body. I love it. Let's go. <laughs> it is always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, you and I will be talking more and more. And I hope that we can collaborate on some of these really important projects too. Yes, so. the more the merrier, I would say. Thank yeah. you, Jackie. Any, so any new books in the future? No, no. And people keep asking me that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It was exhausting writing a book. Like, um, and actually, you know, I had to put a lot of myself in that. So it was like draining as well. And so yeah. I don't think so. I don't really want to. And I don't really know what I would write about. But so at the moment, the answer is no. Okay. I've got enough on the go. You do. And we see, we can see you everywhere. I love your Instagram. It's very inspirational. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Amanda. All right. Thank you, Jackie. Take care.